Hello and welcome to Signify Lighting Talks. I'm Jonathan Gruber. This episode is the second of a two-parter, and today's speaker, Marcel Bakerboom, completes a lecture started in last week's show with Adrian Joyce called The Green Deal, a tipping point for good. Marcel Bakerboom was the ambassador-at-large for climate for the Dutch government, and as such, traveled to international gatherings all around the world dealing with climate change. He was wildly successful in this role, and a Dutch national newspaper ranked Marcel among the top 200 most influential people in 2019 and 2020. Mr. Bakerboom is an inspiring speaker. He has a talent for explaining how we got here, where we are now, and what is being done to give us hope that climate change can actually be tackled and reversed. In a world of rather depressing climate news, he shares his optimism about what's being done right now. And in this COVID world where everyone's working from home, Marcel's dogs make the odd guest appearance. Here's Marcel. When I started in this job as a climate envoy, um, I, I started addressing schools, businesses, um, all kinds of governments and, and other people that are interested in the topic. And I always had to start my presentation by explaining what climate change is, why it is important, what is, is the role of humans in that, uh, until one day a little schoolgirl, age nine, explained me perfectly what climate change is. And I thought, well, maybe from this moment on, I can skip that part of my presentation. And um, that is a very positive sign. Uh, I will say something about that later as well. And the first zoom out that I uh, would like to do is um, zooming out to what is called the blue marble. This is 1972. And uh, I guess you all know this picture. Uh, it was taken out of the Apollo 17. And the first time that people actually saw our Earth uh, in its full, um, in, in one picture, and how beautiful it is, and, and how complex it perhaps even is with its atmosphere, its oceans, and it, it, its landmass. And from that moment on, people also started realizing the fragility of the, uh, of the Earth's ecosystems although it took a long time for us to actually get to where we are now and um, to a moment that we actually don't have to start our presentations with referring to that. And don't get me wrong here, we are still not there yet because we are really on a trajectory towards a, a very positive world in which uh, we hopefully have a re-greened, environments, cleaner air and um, cleaner energy system and everything that comes with that. But it all started here in 1972, the same year that the uh, Club of Rome published its limits to growth. And um, in that report, which is uh, maybe next to the Bible, the, the best sold publication, at least the best sold scientific publication to date, um, the authors explained into what kind of, of boundaries we would run into in the, the next 50 years, measured from um, 1972. And a quick calculation teaches us that uh, that is about now. And that is exactly what we experience at the moment. We are bumping into those boundaries that were already laid out to us in this, uh, in this report by uh, Dennis Meadows and his co-authors a very 
interesting read, and I can recommend you to uh, to just browse through it again. Someone who illustrated that well is uh, Johan Rockström by the Swedish Environmental Institute, and he kind of refined it a little bit um, and illustrated where we are at the moment. If you would see this as a dashboard, then we really have run or overrun some of those boundaries already. Of course, in uh, biodiversity or the biosphere, um, we know what the dire state of our uh, environment is and how many species we have already lost in uh, the past decades, mostly by our own fault and our own behavior. And um, you can just go over these areas and, we, and you, you can see that um, other flashlights are blinking as well on our dashboard. We don't have time. And I can underscore the quote that Adrian just gave from, uh, from Franz Timmermans. There is no time to lose here, um, but it also creates many opportunities if we do this cleverly. Uh, in 2015, um, two major events took place. And I'm telling you this from the perspective from a climate diplomat. Of course, in September, the uh, summit uh, at the UN in New York, where the Sustainable Development Goals were adopted, the 17, and I, I'm sure you all know them as, as well, but they provide us actually with a multi-layered agenda for the next decades. The, the date that was put to this one was 2030. But of course, this is the, the agenda that hopefully defines how we um, behave ourselves and how we build the society of the future, because it, it runs all the way from equality, poverty, food security, gender, climate action, uh, all the way to partnerships. The, the way we do this, we have to do this together. That's sustainable development goal number 13 was taken to that other major event in 2015, also familiar to you, the, uh, the, summit, the, the climate summit in Paris, where the uh, well-known Paris Agreement was adopted. I will say something about that later because that one provides the, 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 the limits, again, that term, but also the framework and some perhaps uh, boundaries, but at least a, a guidance to um, what we have to do in whatever sector in the years to come. I'm going back in time to 1992 um, and coming from 1972 via Rio de Janeiro in 1992, um, you also realize how long we already have this knowledge. This quote basically tells you that uh, the climate change that we are seeing is uh, human induced. It is our behavior that leads to uh, these reactions in our ecosystem. Um, which makes us wonder if it was written down in 1992 and it actually uh, came from a report in 1972. Why is it taking us so long? Do we really have to see the effects in our own backyard before we run into action? Apparently so. Um, but it's also not the case that we haven't done anything since then. Uh, some of the figures that we could can quote in the European context are that since 1990, we have reduced our greenhouse gas emissions in the EU from uh, to a level that is um, now 
about 25% lower, and we are on course to um, make them 49% lower in 2030. And you also know that last year, the European member states have agreed to actually raise the bar once more and uh, raise it to 55% in 2030. So that is uh, to illustrate that, yes, we have realized what is going on. Uh, we know that if we can change it by humans uh, in, in the, the wrong direction, we also have it in our power to change it in the right direction. And that is um, perhaps a little bit of, of a good news as well. And, and this was at that Earth Summit uh, in 1992, at a time when the, 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 the stars, the geopolitical stars aligned. You know that the, the Berlin Wall had just fallen. Um, we entered a, an era of, of prosperity. So figures in other fields, for example, in, in food security and, and poverty um, were dropping. So that, that is, is all positive news. But at the same time, if you are positive about those developments, but you ignore the side effects of that, and so, some would even call it collateral damage, um, you still don't have a long-term perspective. And that is what matters here. And I will get back to that later as well. Um, just doing things that give you results at the short term is not good enough. And that also goes back to the observations of the Club of Rome. You have to look at it in a, in a very integral and, and coherent uh, fashion. But the Paris Agreement, and that is why I pause here, is uh, a landmark document. And I'll just repeat the three main objectives of this agreement. The first one you all know, that is the temperature goal. We have agreed in Paris in 2015 to limit global warming to two degrees. That was, was the target that was written down back then. But actually strive to limit uh, to one and a half degrees. And since then, in the past five, six years, that figure has become the, the, the most dominant one in, in policy making. So forget about the two. We try to stay within limits um, of one and a half degrees and, and the corresponding greenhouse gas emissions. So that is goal number one. Goal number two of the Paris Agreement is that we said we will adapt to the already changing climate. Um, to illustrate how difficult that one and a half degree will be is to tell you that we have already crossed the one degree threshold already since the beginning of the Industrial Revolution. Um, so that is a, a very big task. And um, uh, just recently, a month ago, in the Netherlands, we organized a global summit on adaptation to see how we are going to do that, what kind of measures need to be taken, how are we going to share that knowledge, and how are we going to finance all that. And that brings me to the third pillar of the Paris Agreement, um, the alignment of all financial flows um, towards those first two goals. And this is perhaps the most important objective of the Paris Agreement, uh, because it feeds into every sector, not only the financial sector, but literally every investment, investments in these sectors have to be aligned with the Paris uh, objectives. That is what our governments, our, our political leaders have signed for in 2015, perhaps against their better knowledge, 
because that is uh, a, an enormous task and it needs to be translated. And kudos to the, the European Commission and the European leaders that they have translated that into the Green Deal because that is a, a, a major step forward. Um, that Green Deal by Frans Timmermans or Ursula von der Leyen was presented to the world in December uh, 2019 at the uh, Conference of the Parties, the, the, the climate summit, the annual climate summit in Madrid. And it had an immediate impact uh, way beyond the borders of the, uh, the European Union itself. Um, of course, it had a diplomatic and political impact. I was there at that summit in Madrid and um, people were, of course, expecting the new commission to come out with, uh, with new ambitions. But it was this ambitious, um, yeah, surprise some. Uh, but at least it led to action in other parts of the world. And that is also something that I have witnessed during my travels, that companies, uh, governments across the globe, um, and especially those that did or do have a trading relationship with the, the EU are taking those new standards, uh, that new framework set by the European Commission um, as their lowest denominator. And they are developing policies, both internally in, in governments uh, and, and companies, and also outside asking from their uh, supply chain to Put that at the European level because they want to to keep on trading with the EU. So that is an an immediate effect of only the plans. Lots of those still have to be translated into uh, to legislation and directives. But the fact that this was the intention and the ambition had a big effect. Of course, when I was telling this story in the the past couple of years, um, I always had to um, to spend some time on the, the geopolitical reality, where I said that the stars were aligning in 1992. Um, you could say the same about 2015 with that landmark agreement in Paris, but the years after that were, well, to say the least, difficult. Difficult from the perspective of a climate diplomat. But a lot changed since the last elections in the United States. And uh, I'm happy that I can welcome my colleague John Kerry, who is also climate envoy, back to, uh, to the international table. Um, and again, we see what an effect a national development can have on global spirits and global direction. So this having him back and having the United States back at the table matters because decisions that we collectively take, for example, on a price on carbon, uh, environmental standards, it does matter and it has an effect way beyond our borders, especially if we combine our strengths. This COVID pandemic is a new dimension. On the one hand, it illustrates that we have hit another boundary and uh, that we have to be very mindful of, uh, and, and of what signal we are actually getting here from nature. Um, but on the other hand, it comes with some opportunities as well. And uh, Adrian alluded to that as well. Large fund in, in green recovery are coming available. So we have a good chance here to do things right, to have a long-term perspective and to invest in sectors and uh, initiatives and businesses that can actually bring that 
positive world that I was talking about earlier. So this is a real chance, but we have to grasp it. Of course, the IMF, the International Monetary Fund, plays a role in there. It is Kristalina Georgieva um, who is really insisting also towards uh, the board members of the IMF, uh, the, the richer countries in the, in the world, to indeed put their money where their mouth is and spend um, their recovery uh, and resilience funds with the climate crisis in mind. And that is an important signal. And those signals we do hear from other parts of the financial sector as well, because that is a sector where that third pillar of the Paris Agreement that I spoke about earlier has landed firmly as well. It is whether it's the European Investment Bank, the IMF, the World Bank, um, they are all insisting that we have to change course, we have to get out of fossil fuels and get into um, a, a renewable future or a, a cleaner and more sustainable future. Are they getting there themselves? Slowly. If, if we are critical, we also can see that there's still quite a bit of work to do there as well. But again, the direction is clear. The European Green Deal, I will just say three, three things here. The one is its level of ambition. Um, this was not just your um, average environmental plan. This is a whole of society plan. And that is indeed new. And it's also new in, so this is the breadth of the plan, but also the, the level of ambition is unprecedented. When we earlier got plans from uh, Brussels, they were often the, the average of European member states. And often that meant the lowest political denominator. This is the other way around. This is the European Commission, of course, backed by uh, several bigger member states, but the European Commission laying the bar at such a level, and I mentioned the 55% target, it was the Commission who hinted towards that before the European Council actually adopted it. So ambition is high and the direction is clear. The second point I want to mention about this is the coherence of the, the plan itself. And very important that we do all those things hand in hand and that we keep an eye on the overall picture. Finally, as said, this is not an, an environmental plan or a climate plan per se. This is also a growth strategy. Um, the, the, the amount of, of funds made available is just mind boggling, uh, but that creates an opportunity as well. Europe wants to be the first climate neutral continent um, and stay ahead of the curve. And uh, that, that tells you that these are the kinds of markets of the future. Invest in clean and green now, and you will be in for the longer run. Perhaps if you were hesitating or doubting um, that it might still take a while or that that's fossil fuels will be here for the longer run, there are chances in green. And um, the sooner you get there, the, the, the firmer you can profit from that. Kate Rayworth, a, a British economist, maybe a variation of the Club of Rome's limits to growth. She just tells us, don't look at the, um, the ecosystem boundaries alone, include social boundaries as well, and make sure that you stay within the limits that they uh, provide us. 
because if you only focus on the greener parts because they get so much attention now and you lose out uh, the social part it's not sustainable in the longer run either so combine those two perspectives to be there for the for the years to come this was my hopefully round story um, and i hope i left you with the message that um, it's possible that we need we, we need to zoom out to see all the dimensions that we have and um, cooperate and include all those dimensions in, in a joint effort to, uh, to work towards that, uh, that greener future. Mr. Marcel Beukeboom, looking to the future and ending this two-part Signify Lighting Talks. The Signify Lighting Academy has a vast video library of great lectures from the world of lighting, just like this one. You can sign up for free, view them all, and find out about upcoming lectures at signify.com slash global slash lighting hyphen academy. Signify.com slash global slash lighting hyphen academy. Signify Lighting Talks is a podcast series of lectures from the greatest thinkers and speakers from the world of lighting and is edited by Jaap Schuring. I'm Jonathan Gruber, and on behalf of Signify, we wish you a brighter life in a better world. <laughs>